Welcome to the People Powered Business Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Lee Billet. If you employ staff, engage contractors, or rely on people to help deliver your products or services, you're in the right place. Join us each week as we dive in to uncover what makes people tick, learn the best strategies and tactics to build an amazing team, and most importantly, discover how you, the business owner or leader, can unleash the power of your people to help create the successful business you deserve. Let's get started. Well, hello, Christy Lee here. Welcome to episode number 141 of the People Powered Business Podcast. Welcome. Wonderful to have you here. And I'm super excited today because I am joined by a special guest here on the podcast. I absolutely love bringing you conversations with guests here at the People Powered Business Podcast uh, to share their expertise and to give us insights. And to be honest, I always learn something from our guests. And today is absolutely no exception. Now, those of you who don't know my background and perhaps haven't been listening to the podcast for a long period of time, may not be aware that I've not always been in the world of human resources for small business um, or human resources altogether, in fact. And when I left school to study at university and early in my career, my studies and my interests and my work was in the world of psychology. I have a really passionate interest in what makes people tick in human behavior, in how the brain works. And those of you who have worked with me in a consulting capacity will know that uh, reading people is uh, something that I do for a hobby almost, <laughs> a bit of a superpower that I have really, and something that I really enjoy doing uh, when I'm helping clients understand what's happening with their teams. So it will be no surprise to you that I was particularly interested in the guest that I've got on the podcast today in terms of her knowledge and expertise. It's not something that I have personally done a lot of work in, so I was really, really interested in chatting to our guest. So today on the podcast, this is actually part one of a two-part series. We are joined by Nikki Richman from Ordea. Now, Nikki is a diversity and inclusion consultant. She is from a HR background herself, so understands all of the HR aspects of things. But she now works with businesses because she is passionate for supporting neurodivergent individuals in the workplace. So Nikki is a specialist when it comes to neurodiversity in the workplace. And I share that I don't always get the terminology right here. And and obviously, I get my tongue tied when it comes to all of this. But I think it's a really fascinating discussion. I wanted to talk to Nikki for, for many reasons. One, because in particularly in a market where we we can't afford to be fussy with the applicants we hire. We have to be considering people based on a much broader criteria than we might otherwise. It's highly likely that we may have neurodivergent individuals in our workplace who are doing amazing work, but who may work a little differently to some of our other team members. I've also firsthand witnessed um, clients that I've worked with really struggle with having neurodivergent team members and really how to manage and lead them and leverage their unique strengths because sometimes our businesses are actually not very well set up uh, for these individuals. And anecdotally, I've also noticed um, a really steep increase actually in diagnosis around neurodiversity or neurodivergence, um, not only amongst young people, which is obviously is happening, but also amongst people who are much further along in their very successful careers. 
people who have for many years been top of their game, top of their field, uh, entrepreneurial. Nikki and I chat about why often entrepreneurs and neurodiversity do mix well together. Um, so I, I just have a real vested interest and I, I, I feel like this is something we're going to need to have our head around as business owners and as leaders and managers as we move forward uh, with our workplaces. So as I mentioned, Nikki is a uh, diversity and inclusion consultant with a particular passion for supporting neurodivergent individuals in the workplace. She works a lot with neurodivergent leaders as well um, and helps businesses put in place the right engagement strategies to support them in having a neurodiverse workforce. She has a bachelor's degree in social science. She studied sociology and political science. She's an accredited narrative coach. Uh, She, as I said, works in human resources, is a member of course for the Australian Human Resources Institute. Um, She's an accredited reach facilitator, DISC facilitator, the list goes on. She has a wealth of knowledge and experience. Now as you're listening to today's episode, just be conscious this was actually recorded as part of a connection conversation. Now in November in New South Wales it is Small Business Month and as part of our campaign for Small Business Month uh, within my practice we were holding a series of connection conversations where I was chatting to people who could talk to us about how to connect with our team for success in different ways and Nikki was one of the people that I was lucky enough to speak to as part of that connection conversation. We were looking at how to connect with our team to drive business success. And the focus of this discussion was, of course, on connecting with our own neurodiversity as leaders and with the neurodivergence team members we have to drive business success. So today is part one of our discussion. And in today's interview, you're going to hear us focusing on defining neurodiversity and neurodivergence, the two different things which I learned, and understanding what it all means in practice. And today we're focusing how to identify and leverage our own neurodiversity as leaders. And in next week's episode, we're going to bring you the second part of the discussion where we look at identifying and managing and leveraging neurodiversity within our team. So I really hope you find this a fascinating and interesting conversation. I certainly did. And I took a lot away from this conversation in terms of uh, harnessing neurodiversity from a leader's perspective and from a team's perspective. So without further ado, let's welcome Nikki Richmond to the podcast. Nikki, hi, welcome. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you here. Uh, you've got such a wealth of knowledge and experience in this space. And Nikki's also from a HR background, so understands the intricacies of teams in business and leadership and all of the HR side of things as well, uh, but has a particular knowledge, passion for, and expertise in this neurodivergent space, which is really fascinating. Now, I may not get all the terminology right today. That's why we've got Nikki here. It's not an area that I am an in-depth expert in, but that's why I'm thrilled to be joined by Nikki, who's going to share uh, some of her expertise. And we're just going to have a chat about all the things that we might not know that us as leaders need to know about this space. Um, So before we get into it, Nikki, do you want to introduce yourself and let everyone know a little about you, your background, who you are? Sure. Thank you very much. That was a great introduction. And you got my business name right. (laughs) Just. Um, (laughs) So it is a tricky name to say, but the reason I chose Audia is um, because in Latin it means to listen. And what... um, what we've found, you know, through history is that we tend to make decisions and um, 
systems around people based on what we think they need, whereas ODEA is about the importance of listening to those with lived experience. Uh, so that's where I come from. I, as you said, I have an HR background. I've always been fascinated with people and a people watcher from, from a young age. Uh, so I'm an organisational development consultant. I work primarily, primarily with small and medium businesses to help them build inclusive cultures. And I also deliver um, a, a training series that I built called Leading Diverse Minds. Um, so I am uh, an HR professional for the last 20 years and also I'm neurodivergent. So I'm ADHD and autistic and I pretty much am very late to that understanding. So I have been immersed in neurodiversity for the last six years uh, when I when um, we learned about it for my daughter's diagnosis. And as the years have gone by, I have learned about myself as well. So I've understood about my ADHD for the last three to four years. And the autism diagnosis was very late just last year. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I love that point about listening and to listen because you're so right. In businesses, and I have this conversation with clients all the time, we make assumptions, we think we know what people are thinking or what the right process is, and we quite often just skip over the listening, the asking good questions and, and actually listening to the response and getting really curious uh, with our people about what's going on for them because everyone is living a different experience in the workplace and we can't make assumptions based on our lived experience what others are actually going through. So exactly. I find that really fascinating. And great story that you shared about your own lived experience as well. And I, when you and I chatted offline a couple of weeks ago, I was sharing with you that there seems to be this uh, almost surge, I would say, of people having what I would call late diagnosis of these um, various types of neurodivergent um traits I guess and it's interesting you were sharing you're seeing a lot because people's children are having these diagnoses um, but I'm certainly seeing a lot of it as well and I, I find it really fascinating obviously we have a, a growing awareness and also I'm hoping a reduced stigma around some of these mm. things that were once considered you know I guess different we're all different right <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah I, I'm hoping that all of this increased awareness uh yeah, is really assisting as well. And fascinating when you start learning about it, isn't it? And you learn about yourself and a whole lot makes sense. Absolutely. And and finding people, you know, as, as I mentioned to you, we, we have, we call the lost people um, mm. because the, the diagnostic criteria, um, particularly if I, if I focus on autism, for example, the di diagnostic criteria was very much focused around white male experiences and we have very stereotypical experiences that we see, uh, and not a lot has been known about those assigned female at birth. Um, and, and there are some very different experiences mm. and a lot more subtle experiences. So yes. uh, we're seeing a lot of, of mums, people my age now, who are learning about themselves because they're learning about their children, and suddenly those experiences that their children are having, it's a bit of a alarm it's like oh wow that was my experience at that age yep. too so yep. it's, it's kind of lovely there's this community growing of people who are all learning about themselves and as you're saying the stigma 
we're breaking that stigma down. Yes. There's still, there's still a lot. You know, it yeah. depends on who you speak to. Sometimes um, I still, I'm still very careful sometimes about who I tell about which mm-hmm. diagnosis mm-hmm. because um, I find ADHD, when I talk to people about that, that's way more understood and accepted than autism. Yes. Um, so there's, there's a lot. There's still a long way to go, but there's a lot of great conversations happening now by those with lived experience, which is really important. Mm. And those with lived experience like you who have had immensely successful careers and personal lives and, um, you know, as you said, the signs, the you know, all of it is a little more subtle. It, it's not uh, so extreme and I think that is where it's really super fascinating because once we understand, like with anything, we can leverage. It's like a superpower. Once we yeah. fully understand, there's a whole lot of potential we can unlock once we have that understanding. So I do find it really, really fascinating. So let's take a step back for those that are joining us and are maybe unsure what we're meaning when we say neurodiverse or neurodivergence. Can you give us a big picture, I guess, definition? What are we talking about? Yeah, sure. And and that is tricky because different people in who are neurodiversity advocates will talk about it differently. Mm. So um, I'm... I'm quite a stickler for the language. That's the autistic side of me coming up. <laughs> <laughs> so neurodiversity is all minds. It's the it's the variation of every mind. We're all unique. We've all got different ways of thinking and being. So when you talk about neurodiversity, it's everybody in your workplace. Mm-hmm. When we talk about neurodivergent, that is when we're talking about somebody whose um, brain wiring differs from the societal norm, so from the typical expectation. And then we also talk about neurotypical. So that is those who um, present whose brain is wired more typically as expected by society. Mm. And I really like that distinction, actually, because we all have then neurodiverse workplaces because we are all neurodiverse and I think actually that's really important for a lot of reasons Um, but that's a really great distinction between neurotypical neurodivergent and neurodiverse so that's a great distinction and and I really like how you've articulated your brain is wired differently to societal expectations or norms not right or wrong yes absolutely because different cultures Yes. Expect uh, have different societal expectations. So mm. when we look at the society that we're in in Australia, that's and and you know Western society, mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about is neurodivergence, neurotypical. The other thing that I forgot to mention was neurodivergent can be innate. You can be born with it, genetic. Mm-hmm. So um, autism, ADHD, dyslexia are examples of innate genetic neurotypes, mm-hmm. and then there are those that can be. Um, uh, occur as a result of life events. So things like acquired brain injury, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, there's a whole range. Like it, It's a big umbrella. When you yeah. look at the true neurodivergent umbrella, it's very big. And when we look at it like that, if you, <laughs> when you add the, the mental health components that we look at clinical depression and those things, all workplaces really do need to pay attention to neurodiversity. Um, and neurodivergence in the workplace because it's actually a lot bigger than what we think it is. That's so true. That that umbrella that you've just described is so broad and covers 
so many different scenarios that I would say you would struggle to find a workplace. I'm trying to think of a workplace that hasn't been touched by neurodivergence in one of those categories or another. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we have the innate, you know, so, so I and many others will think of autism and ADHD as an identity. Mm. Um, that it is very much how we are yes. and um, something to be proud of, something that mm-hmm. we wear. And, and um, you know, I'm really proud of the way I show up in the world. Yeah. Um, it's taken a while. <laughs> um, and then there are those things that, that are challenging and traumatic for people and that and we do want to support and help. So, I mean, as, as I said to you earlier, th- that conversation could go for quite a while in itself. Yes. So I'll bring it yeah. back again. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think that's so true. And, uh, yeah, I love that what you've just said there. It's it's And it's just, it's so broad. It's fascinating how broad it is. And I think, you know, in my experience working with workplaces, there's a lot of just misunderstanding about things that might present as challenges in the workplace that are purely I'm certain, you know, under diagnosis would be a neurodivergence situation. Yeah, and if we just different ways of doing things, processing information, and it, until we understand that, we're never going to be able to get the best out of all the possible people because if that's the only challenge we're faced with, that's an easy fix if we just yeah. uh, listen, as you said, and open our minds. Yeah. And I was doing some reading on the stats, and you might be able to correct me if, if I'm wrong here, and, of course, there's a garbage truck going by just at this moment. Um, <laughs> but something I was reading stats of around 15 to 20% of the population are neurodivergent. Is that roughly the right stats that we're looking at these days? Yeah, and, and it's quite hard to, mm. to get good statistics. Um, yes, so it's estimated that 15 to 20% of the global population is neurodivergent. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, as I was saying before, it depends how they're defining that neurodivergent population, um, but it's estimated. And then if we, I've, I've looked at stats in Australia, so for dyslexia, um, that's found in up to 20% of the population. Wow. So that's probably one of the highest incidences of neurodivergence that we see. Um and ADHD, one in every 20 Australians, although ADHD Australia, uh, on their website, it says 75% of ADHDs are yet to be diagnosed. Um, so that's yes. an interesting thought. And then ASPECT um, estimates that one in 70 people in Australia are autistic. And um, then we have a lot of co-occurring um, neurodivergence yes. together. So... Uh, for example, some are multiply neurodivergent, as I am. I'm autistic, mm-hmm. ADHD. If we want to keep adding to the alphabet, um, <laughs> dyspraxic, uh, auditory processing challenges, uh, sensory processing. So they they all come together. So um, and as an example, roughly two in three people who are ADHD are also autistic. Wow. Okay. Yes, that's a very common uh, co neurodivergent okay but then and and I would suggest just you know um anecdotally based on experience working with workplaces that in fact it is much higher than the stats are suggesting because of what you shared about the undiagnosed because I think um you know people are just going through life and and being super successful and highly functioning so there's not any realization there and then of course there are the others who are just uh you know blind eyes to it all so i think i would dare say based on my experience the stats would be considerably higher given the umbrella you've just described that actually does 
cover uh, neurodiversity as a whole, um, which makes it interesting as a challenge in a workplace setting um, because the likelihood is at some point, if not already, we will have someone on our team who is neurodivergent, whether or not they have an official diagnosis, right? So that would be the case, you would think, wouldn't it? Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I may be, well, I am probably biased because the people I attract to come to work with me (laughs) are neurodivergent. Yes. (laughs) So, you know, like attracts like, but all of the small and all of the small business people that I've worked with, the owners have all been neurodivergent. Um, And it's very clear to me, some of them have the diagnosis, some question it, you know, some are thinking that they may, others don't care, they're not interested, but it helps me with that understanding because I know how to work best with that person because I can see where their strengths are. Um, So, you know, neurodivergent, many neurodivergent people are entrepreneurial um, and, and work best out on our own. Um, making things happen. <laughs> That's really interesting. Why do you think that is? Why do you think, just from your own experience, why do you think there are so many crossovers between neurodivergence and entrepreneurial types? Well, from my experience and, and what I've seen, um, ADHD is dyslexic people, for example, um, visual thinkers, creative, out-of-the-box thinkers, um, I know if I don't if I don't agree with something that's happening in a workplace, I struggle with rules that don't make sense. Yes. Um, I naturally like to lead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not a great follower. I mean, I, I yep. follow. When I was younger, I did follow, but now it's just like I I like I love initi- I love to use my initiative. I love to have responsibility. I love to look at things differently and solve problems. Um, and that all draws to that, you know, so ADHD is, for example, more risk takers. Mm. So in, in small business, you do have to have that element of, of taking risks. Yes. Um, so I do see, I, you know, in the work I've done, mm. I've, I've worked with quite a few ADHD business owners. Yeah, I, I think I definitely have to in my time without a doubt. Um, and I think that's really interesting. So really what it comes down to is some of the traits of neurodivergent people are superpowers for entrepreneurs and, in fact, makes them more successful entrepreneurs because of that neurodivergence because they will question rules potentially or they will uh, they have the energy and all of those other things. So um, I find it really fascinating and, and, yeah, again, I can see how those two play out together. I one guess if we – yeah, sorry, go on. Sorry. One of the things um, that I guess I don't want to downplay, though, is we have these amazing strengths. Um, neurodivergent, there, there are some – typical crossovers you know you'll see different things everybody is is different you know everyone's experience is going to be different but there are some crossovers that you'll see in anyone who's neurodivergent and those would be executive functioning um, Mm -hmm. skills challenges so working memory long-term memory planning and organizing time management um, processing speed so those sorts of things you, a person may experience challenges in one or more of those areas. Mm. And what we can find is often we don't learn about our neurodivergence until 
the wheels start to fall off. Um, mm. So when life becomes very stressful, um, really complex, uh, that's when we start to see. So there are disabling factors of being neurodivergent mm -hmm. and often the workplace without intending to can disable our neurodivergent employees and that's where I come in because it's that listening if we listen it's not expensive and it's not hard mm. to um, change the environment to make it less disabling or not disabling at all mm -hmm. for an individual so that they can really thrive at work um, but it's something to be aware of that it's not all sunshine and, and roses yes. being neurodivergent. It's um, yeah. there's some real challenges there as well. Mm, absolutely. So if we take ourselves as leaders in the first instance, and then we're going to talk about team as well. But if we as a leader either have a diagnosis that is neurodivergent in some capacity, or we're identifying with some of this, and we're thinking, "Ooh, I can relate here," and some of this may be me. There's obviously some strategies we can put in place because we can realise our strengths in that we know that we are comfortable with risk-taking or that we we come up with the best ideas, but those challenges or those areas that we may not be as strong in, like delivery of the idea or the detail <laughs> or the planning, if we can identify that, then surely we've got opportunity to build team to fill those gaps. Is that exactly. how we can approach that? Yes, exactly. Um, so so that self-awareness is the first thing. You know, mm. you, you don't need to get a diagnosis. Um, it's just that self-awareness. This is happening for me. Uh, these tools work. This is why I'm successful or this is where, why I've got to this point in my business because of mm. these strengths. This is what's holding me back in the business now because I'm trying to do blah, blah and blah. Um, mm. We have spiky profiles. So, if you ask me to do, um, oh, my gosh, detail for ongoing every day of the week, I'm going to fall down. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, same with finances. Don't put me in charge of anything financial. <laughs> <laughs> so understanding our, our strengths and being courageous enough to then say this is where I generate most value for this business Ooh. And this is what I need in my team. Um, and then building that team around you. What that's going to do, because you're, you're then going to have a diverse team, mm. there, there will be conflict, there will be challenges, um, and that's why self-awareness is the first thing. Uh, for example, I've worked with people who recognise that their ADHD management style stresses out some of their employees. <laughs> um, I could see that, yeah. <laughs> so that come on now, 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 action, action, and then, oh, great idea, let's implement it. Mm. Um, it can really stress those more methodical employees that you need in the workplace. So it's, mm. it's understanding and adapting to what each individual needs in order to do their best in the workplace. Um, and that's the leader's responsibility. So, sure um, yeah. But when it comes down to it, for the, it's, it's worth it for the success of the business and it's an investment absolutely worth taking. Mm. Yeah, and I love that element of self-awareness and, and we see people, you know, in the workplaces you and I would work with, some people are very self-aware, others are completely, completely not, um, which yeah. is always interesting. <laughs> but um, having that self-awareness and having, like you said, the courage to say, 
this has it, this is not about weakness. This is not about needing to do everything because I think that's a natural default for a lot of small business yeah. owners and entrepreneurs. Delegation and, and trust. <laughs> delegation and trust. And if we just stop with all of that and build the right team around us, we will have a more successful business and we'll have a much less stressful life because we won't be trying to do the things that are challenging for us. And and that is the same for, you know, someone who is neurodivergent or purely neurodiverse, as you are explaining mm. earlier, that there are things that some of us are great at and some things we're not good at. Do not yeah. get me to do your proofreading because you will yeah. have errors the whole way through. <laughs> I don't have that kind of attention to detail. Um, so we, we all do have those innate strengths and I guess it's exactly the same applied to a neurodivergent individual. It's just being able to sit with those strengths versus areas of, you know, challenge and not feel like you need to keep pushing through. Because I imagine that stress level from a neurodivergent perspective can really compound very quickly. Yes, absolutely. And that's where if we're looking from the neurodivergent business owner's perspective, Mm. um, ADHD is... I keep saying ADHD because that's my most long-term experience. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and possibly based on what you shared, the most common as well. Yeah, it, it, it's that um, we we just go, go, go. So we'll hyper-focus and it, it's our passion, interest-led. So we can do long hours, um, you know, 300%, I don't like saying it's over 100%, but 300% energy put into something, but then we'll collapse. Yes. So... It's firstly recognising our ebbs and flows and how we work. So now I've recognised if I have three days of full-on, for example, and I'm achieving, achieving, I know that there may be four days where I do basic admin tasks or I even take time out and hang out with my family um, and it's giving myself permission to know, okay, well, those those four days of intense focus, it's like I've worked, mm-hmm. you know, a, a more sustained normal work week yes so it's giving ourselves that understanding but also our team understanding that yes (laughs) because for somebody who loves that autonomy they might show up in the workplace with this full-on focus and then disappear and their teammates their their employees not see them for a few days and wonder Mm. what the hell's happened to them um so it's that communication this is how I work (laughs) Yeah, I think that's so important to be really transparent with your team about that too. Um, And I'll just mention if you are joining us live, we've got a few people joining live, please feel free to pop questions into chat or join the conversation. Let us know your experience um, of neurodivergence in the workplace or or questions that you have, um, just pop them into chat. But it's so true that you've got to be transparent with your team about what's going on. I often say as leaders we, we think that we're not allowed to have like a bad day. We're, yeah. we're all going to have a bad day, like at any time. And if you can't tell your team what's going on and you think you have to mask it and then you're snappy or you're not communicating or you're not giving them the support they need, they are none the wiser. And it's not fair on you or them to create that environment. And I think this is exactly the same situation. Yeah. Um, and also being brave and vulnerable and open demonstrates to the team that you would also support them and you have an understanding because there may be someone on your team who, with or without diagnosis, is having some challenges as well. And this gives them the platform to also talk to you and to be open as well. And if we can nail 
everyone on our team working in the flow that works best for them, on the tasks that, you know, most of the time they're best at. Of course, we can't give everyone their favourite task all the time. Yeah. But <laughs> if we can hone that in, you're going to have a workforce and a business and a team that's so much more productive and efficient and happy and motivated than if you're trying to just get everyone on, a, on sort of a, a process wheel and doing the same thing over and over, no matter whether that's the right time of day for them, all of those things. I mean, it's about really individualising the workplace experience, isn't it? Absolutely. And one of the things, you know, we we talk about um, accommodations for neurodivergent employees, but whatever we set up, I I don't like to other, you know. So um, whatever we're setting up, let's set it up for the entire workforce. Yeah, absolutely. individualized is important where it's it's not you get special treatment because you have um told me you know disclosed that you're neurodivergent it's every person gets what they need within within reason yes <laughs> to be able to thrive at work and do their best work because the spin-offs are you know turnover costs go down massively um for every wrong hire we do or wrong job fish where, you know, it's one and a half times that annual salary. That's mm-hmm. one of the figures that we quote a lot. Yes, yeah. Um, and um, but also the, the the spin-off to the clients, to your stakeholders. They're seeing an engaged, happy, productive, diverse team that reflects your stakeholders. Mm-hmm. So the more your, your team reflects who your stakeholders are, yeah. then the more you're going to be delivering what they need. So it's, it's, it's a, you know happy outcome for everybody. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree. I think so. And I think it's like, you know, we've been talking a lot lately about hybrid work and remote work and business is really pushing against that again at the moment. If you could, why would you not create an environment where people can work as they prefer in terms of their productivity rather than trying to force them into an, an environment that they don't perform as well in? Because what is the out, what's the business outcome there? You, you're going to yeah. have unmotivated, unhappy staff. And I think... As far as we can, as as business owners, if we create environments in the workplace that everyone can thrive in, then we're going to have the best team possible. We get the success from it. it like you said, it's a win-win. So I totally agree. And the time and energy, people don't think about the time and energy that goes into managing those employees who aren't delivering um, oh, yes, it's a lot of time and energy. <laughs> it's exhausting <laughs> and it's yeah. taking you away from what you do best. Um, yes. you know, nobody enjoys performance managing somebody and if we set the systems up, if we set the conversations up um, and everything surrounding the entire workplace, then we're going to spend less time on those draining activities. Yes, yeah, it's focusing our attention on setting things up for positive rather than dealing with the output of negative, yes. basically. Firefighting, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's great. So for us as leaders, it's about self-awareness, diagnosis or no diagnosis. If we're identifying with some of the things that we talk about with neurodivergence, having awareness around that, building the people around us that we need or the systems or the tools, whatever it is, to support us with those challenge areas so that we're not trying to push through because uh, that's going to, you know, ultimately lead to disaster all around, I think, um, and being vulnerable and open and honest with our team about mm. how we work, how we work best, 
you know, you know, that doesn't mean you have to if you don't want to share a diagnosis with your team, if that's really how you feel. But that doesn't mean that you can't be talking openly to your team about the fact that you work in sprints or that you work better in this particular way or, you know, similarly how you like to communicate or be communicated with. All of those things help frame up how we do things around hearing business and it also helps exactly. frame up your team that they can be equally transparent. So I think it's setting a whole range of great lessons and, and role modelling. And that's embedding psychological safety as well. So if you create a psychologically safe workplace where people yes. are, it's where it's shown by leaders that you can show up as you are, there's no ramifications, there's no judgment about you showing up as you are, then people will not be masking so much mm-hmm. in the workplace. They won't be yep. burnout from that, from masking. Um, and what, you know, Google high-performing teams, that one of the things, that the foundation is psychological safety. Yes. So the more that we can encourage that. What I love about small and medium businesses is that they are agile and yes. there's not bureaucracy that you have to fight to put these things in place. Mm-hmm. So it's something you can make a decision on today and turn around and start making a difference tomorrow. Yes. That's why I love working in this area. Yeah, that's so true. We've got the ability to make change immediately if we want to. Um, And I think that psychological safety, that culture of trust and that culture of open communication, they're just fundamentals in, in success for business. So really important. How fascinating was all of that? I honestly found myself really enthralled in this conversation and I certainly learnt a lot. As I mentioned, this is not a topic that I have particular first-hand um, experience or even qualifications in necessarily. So bringing an expert on, an expert who has lived experience with this and is working with businesses in a practical sense right now, I found really, really fascinating. And I hope you did as well. So come back and join us again next week for the second part of our conversation with Nikki, where we're focusing on identifying and managing and leveraging really neurodiversity within our team. Now, if you want to reach out to Nikki in the meantime, I'll make sure all of her contact details are in today's show notes. You will find her on LinkedIn, of course. It's Nikki, N-I-C-C-I, Richmond. Uh, The business name is Audir, A-U-D-I-R, but all of those contact details will be in today's show notes for you. In the meantime, if you would like to ask any questions or join in a conversation or start a conversation about neurodiversity as a leader and in your workplace, I'd love for you to join us over in our Facebook group, HR Support for Australian Businesses. You'll find a link to that group in today's show notes as well. Look forward to talking to you again next week for part two of this conversation. 